Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good afternoon, listeners. This is the DOGS program. The Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools are here on 3CR every Saturday at 12 noon to defend and to promote public education. Now, that's education that's public in purpose and outcome. Above all, it is public in access. It's open to all children. Uh, Our public schools should be owned and controlled by the public through an education department and a responsible minister. And they should also uh, be the only ones that are publicly funded because they're the only ones that can possibly be publicly accountable, as we'll find out today. And for this reason, in a democracy, public schools are the ones that should be provided first-rate public education for every child in this country. Now, we know that in some cases this is not always true, but we still do have a wonderful public education system in this country thanks to the efforts of our forefathers, most particularly in the 19th century. Now, we have a very interesting program for you today because it's been an extremely interesting week. We have a very brave Auditor-General, and given that he's only um, not even permanently in the job, Dr Frost, the Victorian Auditor-General, is a very brave man indeed. And we'll be talking about this, and it is in our press release 647 at www.adogs.info, press release 647. And a bit later... Dale will be reading out our press release 646. So we're a bit ahead of ourselves, but, um, well, that means that you're up with things, aren't you? Now, the press release 647 says this. State Auditor-General finally blows the whistle on public funding of private schools. Now, listeners, as we have often told you on this program, for 50-odd years, dogs have been pointing to the state within the state, which is paid billions of dollars of public money to indoctrinate children and build up wealth in real estate and investments in this country, with no strings attached. And periodically, dogs placed advertisements in newspapers exposing the irresponsibility of the religious education sector and demanding that the Commonwealth Attorney-General look at the state aid scandal 
and you can see this in our press release 246 of 2008, but there were others before that. Uh, in 2008, the Commonwealth Auditor-General complained that there was minimal, if any, accountability for Commonwealth money. And Dogs noted when they actually looked at the situation that the Commonwealth Department checked on private religious schools' expenditure of public money once every 50 years. And if you want to check up on this, uh, I'm telling you no fibs. All you have to do is to go to our website and go to the archive in the press release section and go back to press release 256 of 17th of June 2008 and you'll get a very interesting blast from the past. These are the words of Ray Nielsen, in which he says the basis of state aid to church schools is checked once every 50 years. Commonwealth Auditor-General, do your job or resign, because Ray was always very direct. He noted in his press release that dogs have calculated that if 2% of the nation's 2,200 private schools were audited every year, then it would take 50 years on the average before a particular school is audited on the basis of pupil numbers. Ray was a facts and figures man like Trevor Cobalt, and um, this is what he worked out. He had, of course, been a financial analyst uh, at Ford Motor Company, so he knew what he was talking about. And um, the church interest never took him on for this reason. Now, Dogs also noted back in 2008 that if church schools could falsify their enrolment figures with the probability that they will not be found out for another 50 years, how seriously can their pupil enrolment figures even be taken? And the other thing he asked was, what percentage share of the current student population in Australia do the church schools really hold? And how seriously can their claims regarding their increasing share and their demands for it be taken? What with the church school interest is statistics and what our our lives? And he went on to say, how long do citizen taxpayers have to suffer? How long do we have to put up with the failure of the Commonwealth Auditor-General to do a proper job in relation to federal state aid to church schools? As federal taxpayers and citizens, we have a right to expect that the public authorities halt the abdication of responsibility for expenditure of public funds. And in recent times, this is in 2008, taxpayers were forced Dogs were forced to rely upon newspaper freedom of information exercise to discover how bad the situation had become in relation to the taxpayers' money. And um, Ray went on to say, never minced words, the old Ray, church schools can escape a rort check and the federal level of public accountability, and he asked, was there any at all? And back then... um, There was, in fact, in the Sydney Morning Herald of May the 27th, 2008, uh, an article by Gerald Noonan and Anna Patty, which uh, said, was entitled, Schools Escape a Rort Check, and said, they said that the federal government had been forced to admit that it checks only a tiny percentage of independent schools for exploitation of the controversial, in those days it was only 12 billion school funding system, despite all the evidence in the world that it was being rorted. So the Commonwealth situation, dear listeners, has hardly changed.
and it certainly didn't change under Mr Abbott and it's unlikely to change under Mr Turnbull or Birmingham. And of course, they all say that they have private schools in their DNA. But the State Auditor General, his concern is not the billions of dollars coming from the Commonwealth, but the hundreds of millions that is coming from the state coffers. And um, as we've said, by 2016, at the state level, we have finally got a very brave man. Well, actually, we had two brave men. There was a Victorian Auditor-General, I think his name was Doyle, and he was an experienced man in Canadian procedures where they do have some accountability for, for state aid to private schools. And he indicated that things were not as they should be. He was looking very carefully at the lack of accountability from the Catholic Education Office and making noises about it. Stephen Elder, who is the CEO of the Catholic Education Office, was not, and nor is he still, any happy. He's not happy at all. But that first Auditor-General, Doyle, was forced to resign. Yet, thankfully... The new acting Auditor-General, Dr Frost, hasn't stepped back from blowing the whistle regarding the state grants to private religious schools. He's written a scathing report, and uh, we, can, we refer it to you, and um, it's come down in the last week or so. And he said that the Education Department had weak funding agreements with the schools, no performance measurement or targets, and the schools, these are the private schools, are unable to prove that the funds have been spent as they were intended. So there's hundreds of millions of dollars from the state treasury given over to the private schools of this state, and there is no proof that those funds have been spent on education. There's no accountability. He said, and I'm quoting, my audit found that there is limited assurance that grants are used for their intended purpose or are achieving intended outcomes. The absence of clear, appropriate Governance by the Education Department has led to poor grant administration, including inadequate monitoring of whether grants are used as intended. In a sample audit of 22 schools, none could prove that their funding was not used on capital works, which is forbidden. And only 20% of the schools receiving student disability grants could prove that they were used for the purpose that they were intended. But his most critical comments were aimed at the Catholic Education Office. And here is a direct quote. The department has very limited visibility of the Catholic Education Commission of Victoria's methodology and the revised allocations provided to Catholic schools, and I have recommended it clarify any conditions and reporting associated with reallocating recurrent grants. My audit 
found that there is limited assurance that grants are used for their intended purpose or are achieving intended outcomes. There are significant weaknesses in the Department of Education and Training's funding agreements with system authorities and non-government schools, and its management of grants has been poor. There has been limited oversight of the non-government school sector by the Department of Education and Training, and this has resulted in a lack of transparency and accountability for the use of state government grants. And listeners, why is this the case? This is the case because the DLP and the Catholic Education Office over the years have blackmailed our politicians into allowing them to just receive the money and deal with the money as they think fit. There is no assurance that money that is given to the Catholic Education Office of Victoria is actually used for educational purposes. And in the current climate, where the church is going to be asked to pay fairly substantial funds to people who have been abused by that church and have been proved to be abused by that church and have suffered under the abuse from that particular church, there is no assurance that taxpayers' money is not going to be used as it was in Ireland, for the purpose of paying out the people who have been abused. Uh, now, that's not in our, in our press release. I'll continue with our press release. The Auditor-General's audit revealed what dogs have been claiming since the 1960s, that due to a funding model that relates to Catholic schools because they're systemic and other systemic schools too, I would imagine. Some wealthier Catholic schools receive substantially more in government grants than they would have under the department's funding arrangements and the poorer schools received less. And there is no assurance that this is really not going to continue. Since the very beginning in the 1960s, dear listeners, the dogs have been pointing out that the poor parish schools never received the funds that were intended for them under the government's needs policy because between the poor parish schools and the government and its needs policy was the Catholic Education Office that decided how and where those funds would be spent. And from the beginning, the funds were spent on an expansion of the system and new schools, new capital expenditure, not recurrent expenditure. And they've been able to get away with this for years because why? There is no accountability. And this is, of course, what happens if you fund a state within a state. The state within the state, namely the church, can do as it pleases with taxpayers' money. And this, of course, is not a democratic procedure. Well, the uh, gentleman who has produced the report says the government funding for Victoria's nearly 500 Catholic schools is distributed by the Catholic Education Commission, and that's been going on for many, many years. In fact, since the 1970s under Gough Whitlam. It was not the case under the Fraser um, 
Fraser uh, Gorton government uh, before Gough Whitlam. But once um, there was uh, a talk of a needs policy, the Catholic Education Commission got the money into under its own control, and most particularly when Tannock was in charge of the um, Catholic Education Commission. I'm sorry to be... Um, uh, telling you all this history, but I think this history of what has happened over the last 60 years is actually very important because we're now at the end point where it is a national scandal and we now have finally a very brave Auditor-General who's prepared to say this is wrong. It is wrong procedure. And it is, of course, the reason why dogs have always said that you should not give state aid to private schools. Now, there's never been a genuine needs policy as far as the private schools are concerned. The so-called poor parish schools syndrome was only a ploy to obtain state aid with no strings attached. Now, not unsurprisingly, the Catholic Education Commission of Victoria has accused the watchdog, the Auditor-General, they've accused him of conducting a biased report <laughs> They're going back to the old, um, the old way of doing things. If um, somebody complains about you, then you say, oh, this is discrimination. This is anti-Catholic. You are sectarian. And their chief executive, Stephen Elder, said that the audit was limited in scope and the Auditor-General was trying to endorse previous criticisms it had made to the media about school government grants. Uh, but what uh, what did he say? It's hard not to conclude, Mr Elder said, that the scope was intentionally designed to serve this purpose, given that the broader scope, scope would have challenged many of the uh, Auditor-General's findings. So Mr Elder is um, trying to play the man and trying to say this is a biased report, it's anti-Catholic, you can't believe it. But Dr Frost had the temerity to reject the Catholic Education Commission's criticism, saying that the audit, audit may not have been the one the Catholic Education Commission of Victoria wanted. I think that's an understatement. <laughs> the Auditor-General investigated more than $640 million in non-competitive grants given to private schools in 2014 and found that most of that... Now, that's a lot of money, $640 million. It was untagged. Now, the other schools, the non-Catholic schools, are um, a little bit more honest about the situation. And Michelle Green... And I very, very rarely agree with Michelle Green, but um, finally, Michelle Green and the dogs are in agreement. She says that the public has a right to know how taxpayers' money is spent. And the so-called independent schools that are really dependent schools are not um, quite as bad and can be... Um, accountable perhaps a little bit more than the Catholic Education Office. But although an Education Department spokeswoman has said that the department accepted all of the recommendations and would work closely with the non-government schools sector to deliver greater clarity, transparency and accountability for state funding, 
Dogs say the only way that they can possibly do this is to take the schools over, open them to all children, rationalise the ridiculous duplication of facilities, fund them with public money generously and make them truly accountable. Now, listeners, we are at this stage of our history with this rotting of billions of dollars of public money by the private education sector uh, because we did not learn the lesson of the 19th century. They knew in the 19th century that this was the only way that they could get accountability and they were prepared then to take on the Catholic education, uh, other Catholic bishops. Because make no mistake, as Cardinal Pell has just shown to us, uh, speaking from Rome, you are dealing with a hierarchical organisation. And the people who make the decisions are the people as far up the hierarchy as you can get. And the bishop, the soul, the bishop's soul is in fact the owner, the actual owner of most of the real estate in the Catholic Church in Victoria. That is the actual legal position. Now, they didn't want to admit to this in the Dogs High Court case, but it is the position. And if things are not right, then they are responsible. But if things are not right with the government of Victoria in the education sector and in the accountability for public money, then the minister is responsible. And Merlino given this rotting of our public funds, should consider resigning. But the dogs say it is an impossible situation for a minister so long as he gives money to private religious schools that are not accountable and will not be accountable. And the reason, I believe, back in 1872, over 150 years ago, or almost 150 years ago, the reason the Catholic bishops of Australia led their schools out from under government funding and rejected government funding and went out was because the government was pushing them too hard about accountability and they were refusing to be accountable to the state for what was taught in their schools uh, for the teachers and the training of the teachers in their schools and the inspection of their teachers in their schools. If there had been proper inspection, one wonders, of the Catholic schools, particularly St Alpius up at Ballarat, would we have the shocking situation that we are now finding has been going on in the Catholic schools of Victoria? But the bishops did not want any state control at all. So they were prepared to take their schools out, believing that it would only be for perhaps 10 or 20 years at the moment, at the, at the most. As it was, it was for 80 years. But when they got the money back again, they had a much more powerful political position with the DLP and uh, the, they, they now pretty well control the Liberal Party, some people think, and they certainly have influenced the Labor Party, but they got the money without any strings attached. They became the state within the state, and in the process, as the dogs found, they uh, have corrupted many democratic processes in our democracy. 
And the dogs always said this, and this is why we have always opposed state aid to private schools. Uh, And if you think that at the moment I'm being particularly anti the Catholic Education Office, it's because if one is aware of the history, they have always led the battle in this case and the Protestant schools and all the others have tagged along for the goodies. But um, it's a very interesting situation that we're finding ourselves in at the moment and it's uh, the, the Dr Frost has got to be congratulated and we look forward to the Commonwealth Attorney-General perhaps doing something a little uh, like it. But don't hold your breath. Uh, Most of the schools in Australia, whatever their religious denomination or whoever owns them and profits from them, most of them are getting public money with very few strings attached and certainly very little oversight because our public services have been gutted. They were gutted by Mr Kennett in Victoria and they have been gutted and placed under under terrible pressure and privatised in, uh, in Canberra. But um, the, the principles are still there and if you're giving on the principles, the basic principles of a democracy, then you have uh, problems. But that's enough for me for the moment. Let's have a bit of a break, a bit of music. And then Dale has got a speech that Robert gave Robert sends his apologies this week. He's off busy in a school somewhere. Uh, But Robert sends his apologies, but she will read out a speech that he gave or a paper that he gave to a Labor Party branch in the last week. But that's enough of my voice for the moment.
You're listening to the Dogs Program here on 3CR, 855 on the AM dial, and you've just been listening to David Kinsella, a state school boy, playing a canzona by Buxtehuda on the 2004 Albertan organ at St. Louis on on Lille, Paris. I'll say that again. St. Louis on Lille, Paris, which is St. Louis on the island, somewhere, I suppose, (laughs) in the scene in Paris. But it's a beautiful organ, and he plays it beautifully too. So now I'm going to pass you on to Dale. Thanks, Jean. Yes, I've got an article, uh, well, article, I've got a speech here that uh, our very own Robert made recently and uh, obviously it's pertinent to share with uh, our listeners. So uh, I'll, I'll begin. Let's frame the current debate. First up, you're probably not going to like what I have to say, as the dog's position is very clear and has been for 50 years. No state aid for private schools. That is to say, public funding for public schools only. A public school is public in ownership, control and oversight and accountable to the public for outcomes. In contemporary Australia, this statement may be offensive to some or viewed as a nice idea that's unrealistic or impolitic or uneconomic or by some strange twist and implication sectarian, as so many private schools are religious in nature. But I put it to you that contemporary Australia is a very strange place when it comes to education funding and the idea of public funding for public schools only is actually normal for the majority of the rest of this civilised world. In fact, to many people from overseas who look at Australia, who look at Australian schooling systems, we're just plain weird. But different cultures and societies around the world are weird in different ways. The internal national logic for it's, for it's just the way we do things around here plays out in the education funding arrangements in Australia is particularly obscure when compared to other countries. The argument goes like this. One, people have freedom. Two, parents must have rights to freedom and choice. Three, religion and enterprise must be free to do what they want. Four, give public money to religions and enterprises to educate children of parents who can pay money and choose to opt out of the public education system for any reason. Five, these are saving taxpayers' money. Six, place a minimum burden of audits, oversight, accountability on private providers and allow them to exclude whomever they want because they must be free to do what they want. See point two. Seven, this will save public money. Eight, the more private schools, the better, as this saves more money. Nine, if you take public money away from religions and enterprises that are privately educating children, this is anti-choice, anti-freedom, anti-individual, anti-religion and wastes money. Now, this internal logic is unfortunately and obviously flawed at every point after point one. People have freedom. And I'll elaborate on this later. 
But I'd like to draw a parallel with another situation in another country where freedom is valued to explore how internal logic within a society can lead to weird outcomes. In the US, for example, they have an issue with the relation between freedom and gun violence and the internal internal logic of how this plays out goes like this. One, people have freedom. Two, people have rights and freedoms to choose to own guns. Three, it is a dangerous world with bad people with guns and people need to feel safe. Four, People have rights and freedoms to choose to own lots and lots of guns and big ones too to protect themselves from bad people and feel safe. Five, the more guns there are, the safer everyone feels and is. There may be some people here who support the unrestricted gun ownership regime in the US, but no one can argue that this internal logic makes the US a safer place. By the same logic, no one can argue that the internal logic of Australia's education funding system is making Australia a better educated educated nation. In fact, the current funding processes since the introduction of state aid to private schools are directly correlated with both an overall lowering of comparative educational success by every international comparison and a dramatic increase in Australia's inequity of educational outcomes by the same measures. In short, while each society intends the opposite, the US gun regime makes the US more dangerous and Australia's education funding regime makes us stupider. This is the framework for discussing what's going on now. Over the past 15 years, total Commonwealth and state government funding for private schools has grown at at more than twice the rate of funding for public schools. And in more recent years, funding for public schools has been cut while private school funding still increased. Between 1998 and 99 and 2013-2014, the government funding per private school student adjusted for inflation increased by 39% compared with only 17% for public schools. More recently, between 2009 and 10 and 2013 and 14, real funding for public schools, funding per student, fell by 3% while while private school funding increased by 10. We, the people, are wasting money on kids who do not need it. Since 2009, total government funding per student for many high-fee, exclusive private schools in Victoria and New South Wales increased by several times more than for many highly disadvantaged schools. In Victoria, the average funding increase per student for 16 selected elite private schools was 25%, compared with the 3% for 17 disadvantaged public schools. Six of the disadvantaged schools had their funding cut. On average, 76% of students in the elite schools were from the highest socioeconomic advantage, SEA, quartile, and 1% were from the lowest SEA quartile, while 61% of students in the disadvantaged schools were from the lowest SEA quartile and 3% from the top quartile. The average total income of the elite schools 
in 2013 was $27,085 per student, compared with $13,897 per student in the disadvantaged schools. One example, MLC gets $7 million from the public purse and $25.4 million from fees in, 20, in 2014. That works out to $6,000 per student in public money and 21730 from the parents. I estimate it costs about 14000 14, to educate a kid from an advantaged background effectively and about 17000 per annum to educate a child from a disadvantaged background. And they have a greater need for extra family support. This anecdote is an obvious and I would argue stupid waste of money. But what about the poor, low-fee low private schools? Recent trends in, school, in schools' recurrent funding strongly suggests that over 40% of students in Catholic schools next year will average as much, if not more, public funding than their peers in similar government schools. Two years further on, an additional 40% will most likely join them. Half the students in independent schools are on track to get as much, if not more, than government school students by the end of the decade. This is just public funding and excludes parental funding and fees. All private religious school sectors are exempt from anti-discrimination legislation in Victoria. They can, they can unchallenged, enrol and expel, employ or sack whomsoever they wish using the argument that as the school has religious values, this is allowed. Public schools are different. They have values of inclusion and as a result, the vast majority of physically and behaviourally challenged children are in state schools where they are welcome. It is apparent that Australia has an incoherent and unfair school funding system that favours advantaged students and discriminates against disadvantaged students. And state Labor government is one of, the f one of their first acts in government passed legislation to accelerate this stupidity by legislating an automatic 25% 25 cents to go from the state coffers to every private school for every dollar that goes to a state school, even if the private school has no need for it. Please remember that, this, that it is the federal government that's responsible for private school funding, not the state government who's responsible for state schools. This is not a money saver. It's a money waster. This decision was objectively a bit crazy. Ken Boston, one of the Gonski architects and the only state school educated one certainly thought it was, this decision is just silly and one can only guess as to the political motives behind it. There can be little wonder that Australia has failed to improve the results of disadvantaged students or to reduce the large achievement gaps between advantaged and disadvantaged students over the past 15 years. This gap has increased to almost three years. Public schools bear the very large burden of disadvantage but receive less than half the funding increase provided to private schools. Failure to overhaul this incoherent and unfair school system will incur major social and economic costs. 
the life chances of hundreds of thousands of disadvantaged students will continue to be severely curtailed. It means a future of unemployment, low income and poverty for many, which contributes to social alienation and division. Poor education outcomes mean low workforce skills and participation, which in turn results in lower productivity and an underperforming economy. Poor education outcomes also lead to poor health, more crime and greater welfare dependency, all of which increase government expenditure over the long term. This unfair school funding system must be overhauled to improve the life prospects of hundreds of thousands of students, promote economic prosperity and strengthen the fabric of Australian society. In summary, state schools and state school parents are keen on the Gonski plan, but this is just a chimera. It is a school voucher sector blind model that will not address the underlying problems of the flawed internal logic behind education policy. Gonski was forbidden in his brief from even asking questions about the private school system. Free enterprise and money-saving religious schools will not educate the kids. Come one, come all of this nation. They do not want to. They're not designed to as private education is designed to make profits and or create adherence to particular tenets. It can be said that the ideologically pure are the politically impotent. The dogs by this measure are arguably ineffective. But we see a different perspective. We've not changed our perspective of public funding for public schools only for 50 years. The Overton window is a window of discourse, defined by the range of ideas the public will accept. The dogs have been for two decades at least outside this window, but are now acceptable and peeking over the sill. This is because as economic conditions deteriorate, the aspirational middle classes are becoming attracted to the idea that a public education in a good state school is an acceptable pathway for their children, save money and is a bloody good investment. In 2015, for the first time in a long time, enrolments in state schools increased nationally and there was a corresponding decrease in private school enrolments. This is despite the millions of taxpayers' dollars spent by private schools, rich and poor, on advertising, marketing, discounts and scholarships to prop up their business model. The Overton window of what is politically possible is shifting and the dog's point of view is now acceptable is now acceptable as an argument both socially and politically politicians who ignore equity in education and bow down to private and religious education lobbies now do so at their peril yes well thank you dale and thank you robert um because I thought that was a very interesting paper and there were some very interesting questions also um, at, uh, involved with that paper. But one of them was how much do the churches and particularly the church schools uh, gain in taxation expenditures, namely the exemptions, because they don't pay rates and taxes of any sort um, and they certainly don't pay capital gains taxes and uh, we're not sure whether they engage in negative gearing because the, uh, the state, the taxpayers, often pay the interest on their capital investments uh, when they borrow money 
for their uh, capital expansions of their schools and uh, I suspect also of their churches. But um, there's a very interesting article by Brian Morris. Um, He would be a secularist and it was sent to us by Max Wallace, who is a secularist and a rationalist. And it's about wealth, abuse, taxation and religion. And it's published on the internet by the AIM Network, which is the Australian Independent Media Network. So um, he has some very interesting figures. So I can now answer that question, which I couldn't answer um, during the week. He says that the figure is $31 billion. Uh, he says that $31 billion, uh, is the figure. So if you actually think about that, that's a pretty big figure for taxation exemptions, but that's for religion. He says it's another ancient contrivance that's long overdue for a major overhaul to have churches finally make a contribution to the nation's coffers, given that there are now fewer wealthy people and more more poor people in Australia. And um, he knows his Christianity. He knows that, in fact, uh, Christian people were told by Christ to look to, the, look to the poor and not count the cost. But, in fact, the churches, he claims, have been counting uh, the money that's been coming into their coffers very enthusiastically but uh, it's the wrong kind of counting. He claims that um, in 2014, Australia's GDP was um, $1.45 trillion United States dollars, and it was ranked 12th on the IMF table of 189 countries. And despite the GFC and recent falls in commodity prices, Australia remains one of the wealthiest nations in the world. But like the churches over many centuries, Australia's wealth has expanded exponentially, primarily in the hands of society's most privileged and the already wealthy. Um, And in 2015, the nation's top 20% of wealth holders increased by 28%, while by comparison, the wealth of the bottom 20% increased by just 3%. And a person in the top 20% wealth group has a staggering 70 times as much wealth as a person in the bottom 20%. The wealthiest 10% own 45% of the wealth in Australia. So, if you're feeling a bit poor today, and I don't mean poor in the sense that you can't pay the mortgage on that second or third investment property that you've got, I mean poor in the sense that you're wondering where your next meal is coming from, or where you're going to sleep tonight, um, and whether or not you can pay the rent, um, then you might in fact be very interested in what has been happening in the last 10, 20, 30 years, and why it is that the church hierarchies, all they ever do 
is often muted and patronising doublespeak about this situation. Uh, he says that casual jobs now account for 35% of the workforce, which is the largest on record, and the majority provide only sufficient hours to allow workers a meagre existence. And we now have, of course, all of these young people who cannot find a job. And he thinks that the churches should perhaps uh, be remembering what Christ said about giving succour and comfort to the needy without counting the cost. But as we know, uh, some of the churches are getting themselves just involved in being the servants of the wealthy through a sectarian education system. But as one of my listeners who rings me up regularly says that I should be telling you telling the parents that, in fact, they are doing their children a great disservice if they think that they will get them something better if they send them to a private school. And um, Robert also uh, has uh, done some figures on this and you'd do much better to get your child into a state school and spend the money that you might pay on fees in saving that up for them uh, for later in life, you do much, much better because our state schools are still great schools and uh, they have wonderful teachers and uh, you get a very solid curriculum in our state schools because any other school is dependent upon the state system to uh, start the race. Uh, they are really only predators on the state system. The state system has always been the main one and always will be in our democracy. But uh, I think that our time is running out a bit. So just to make sure that we get all of Joe Hill today, I'll say bye for now. For three years, teachers have had their qualifications, their pay, their pensions and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. I'm a proud product of a government-funded primary school education and of a government-funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's still not good enough that kids with disability miss out. You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR. Says Joe, but I.
Rubber bosses killed you, Joe. They shot you, Joe, says I. Takes more than guns to kill a man, says Joe. I didn't die, says Joe. I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill. Went on to organize. Went on to organize. From San Diego up to Maine, in every mine and mill, where workers strike and organize, it's there you find your hill. It's there you find. Palm Sunday Walk for Justice. Add your voice to choirs and musicians, including special guest Dan Sultan and MC Corinne Grant. Speakers include former asylum seeker Nazir Yousafi and a range of faith and community leaders. Stand with people from all over Melbourne to demand the closure of camps on Manus and Nauru and freedom and permanent protection for refugees. Starting with music from 1.30pm, followed by speakers at 2pm, join us for the Palm Sunday Walk for Justice. March 20th at the State Library on Swanson Street. Organised by the Refugee Advocacy Network, a 3CR supporter. This Easter weekend plays host to the Marxism Conference, Australia's largest left-wing conference. It is an absolutely not-to-be-missed political event. As in previous years, over a thousand lefties are expected to congregate at the Victorian College of the Arts, in what is a celebration of struggle against the system. The Marxism Conference has over 100 sessions of left-wing discussion and debates on every issue under the sun. There will be guest speakers from every corner of the globe, such as longtime Indigenous activist Gary Foley, Mandla Nikosi, who was part of the struggle against South African apartheid, pro-Palestinian journalist Ali Abunima and Ramzi Baroud, American socialist Curie Pearson-Smith, who was part of the movement against police brutality on African Americans, and so much more. The conference also involves a left-wing film festival and two art exhibitions. Make sure to have a look at the interactive program and grab your tickets at marxismconference.org. A 3CR supporter. Ladies and gentlemen, this panel is now on air. In July 1976, from an old warehouse in High Street, Armadale, 3CR Community Radio hit the airwaves. 
heralding 40 years of independent, community-owned and controlled radio. This will be the first station owned and operated by a cooperative of community organisations on a Melbourne-wide basis. This is 3CR. As the status quo of old media is challenged, as publications come and go, in a country with the highest concentration of media ownership in the world, 3CR continues to broadcast radical, insightful radio 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We're not talking about land rights, we're talking about sovereignty. That's why it's important for us to be at the 10 Embassy. From the protests against the Franklin River Dam to the 1998 waterfront dispute, from the east-west tunnel picket to the Aboriginal 10 Embassy, the history of 3CR is dynamic and passionate and ongoing. I was born here. I will die here. I am not moving. So as we celebrate 40 years in 2016, we ask you, our volunteers, listeners and supporters, to join in in saying... Happy birthday, 3CR!